Welcome once again to We Muse Aloud, a podcast where anonymous voices share their thoughts on a theme within a dreamscape of music and ambient sound. This is our tenth episode, and the last one before our summer hiatus. We'll return in autumn with ten new episodes. We'd like to thank all of our contributing voices, who made this first season possible. You are all generous and compelling and, trust us, listener, very, very attractive. This episode is about bodies. Each of us has one, and each of us has our own unique perception of and relationship to it. Who influenced those perceptions? What do we see when we look at ourselves? To what extent does our body image shape our identity? As always, We Muse Aloud is best enjoyed with headphones. Feel free to undress. We're going to get personal. And now, episode 10. Bodies. Um, in terms of the extent to which I think I've been affected by media images of bodies, I'm going to take a guess and say that I've probably been indirectly affected by it a lot in weird ways and maybe, you know how you always think like, well that's so obvious, that's so overt, therefore I'm not susceptible to it because I'm conscious of it. (laughs) If I probably really looked into it, I'd probably find that I was affected by it in a really ob- in a really embarrassingly overt way that I would outright deny were you to ask me directly. I think I wish I could be a naked guy. You know what I mean? Like there's a part of me I'm like, yeah, if I was just like, and then any other time that I've tried, been in a position where there's been parties where people are like, let's throw off our clothes. And again, not, like not, not in a sexual way, but like that wasn't, the wasn't, it wasn't to try to create like an orgy environment. It was just like, we're doing this because theater or because of whatever else. And I always kind of wish I could just be like, I'd be like, yeah. And I can pretend to for probably about half an hour. And then I'm like, hmm, I don't really want to be without a shirt right now. I don't have much of a social emotional issue with nudity. Mine is purely mechanical. If I have to move around, um, I don't have a thigh gap. So if there isn't material between my upper thighs, they will chafe so I can't move around. So for me, the biggest concern with nudity is get those shorts on. I gotta have something between my thighs. Yeah, I was I remember some of my first like the first time I'd ever see like naked people around, all sort of like locker room stuff, and like the old men just were walking around. We had a uh, a membership of the like the Y when I was a kid. With our family we'd go swimming. And I, I hit almost like teenage years around them. It's just like, are my balls just like particularly taut? Like I was, because they don't hang very low. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of my balls. I'm not particularly happy about them. Like they're, I feel very neutral about them. I didn't ever think about them until there's all these dudes with just like balls by their knees. Like they're just flapping everywhere and whatever else. And I'm like, is why is my why is my nutsack so taut? I mean, I guess I should say off the top that 
I don't have a very um, direct personal relationship with, I don't know, I'm just gonna use really broad strokes here and say a whole overarching area of pop culture that has to do with sort of what is generally considered attractive, particularly for women's bodies. So I never had like women's magazines sort of thing. I know that some people are just naturally skinny, but like um, the, the extra degree that looks painful and sad and hits that particular note has always been really viscerally difficult to see in media in any way. Um, or also in people in society in general, it still hits me very viscerally. Um, and then, you know, the, the extremely obese and, and this idea of like, ah, it just felt always um, like they were on death's door. And that really, like, people's physical relationship to death, oh, like, has always impacted me in that way. So, you know, those sort of, seeing those extremes in the media ever gave me a real gut churner. I was pretty lucky in that my family really tried to make, like, especially through adolescence, make like home a safe space when it came to body stuff. Like, my parents were never, like, never talked about like my weight or my appearance. Um, like, they really focused on health. And you know, like when I was whatever, went through puberty and I like gained a bunch of weight, like so many girls do. It was never like, you need to lose weight to look better. It was just like, we want to make sure you're active. We want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Like, so the focus was always on health, which was great. So like home was kind of a safe space from that. But like, I'm a woman in the world, right? And it's like, it's everywhere and it gets into your brain. It's a parasite. Well, I've, I've rarely had a good relationship to my body. Um, as a little kid, I thought I was too skinny and my arms were too long and my, I had knobby knees and yeah, I have no, there's really no time where I didn't feel like I was unhappy with the way I looked. Um, I would usually have something growing up as a kid that was more uh, gender neutral or just for weirdos, you know? Um, so the artists I liked musically or people I really respected I wasn't very likely to notice whether or not they were conventionally attractive. My heroes growing up were all these like slinky, um, you know, skeleton, uh, androgynous rockers. And I don't look like that. Uh, I don't have the body type to look like that. So I've tried to sort of go the other way and, and um, you know, do something else with it. But in terms of accepting how I look, um, I don't know, I try not to think about it as much now, but I probably think about it more than I should. And I think that sometimes I feel uh, like I can be handsome or, or better looking than, than an average person. Sometimes I feel like a complete fucking monster uh, who's gross and should never eat anything again. And then all the sort of idealistic Barbie standards, this and that, I found that my reaction younger subconsciously was because I'm not like that, my, my proportions aren't like that, um, therefore I must be the other. If I don't fit into that category, then I'm the other, so let me seek out other images of the other that I can find, or, or let me pronounce my placement as the other, 
so that, because if I'm put in that category, I won't belong and people will know that I don't fit in there and I'll be outed somehow and that would be worse. It'd be better to just put yourself in the, no, I'm, I'm not like that, I'm not trying to be like that. that, that's not even a thing that I want to be a part of. So let me find other women and images that are closer to what I th think I would fall towards. And it's only in the past, well really since having a kid and a daughter that, I've, that I'm trying to undo some of that. And I was talking to my best friend about this. She just had a daughter four months before I did. And we just talked so much about not wanting to pass that on to them, right? Like it's toxic and it fucks up the way you value yourself and it fucks up the way you, like how much space you think you're allowed to take up in the world and what you think you deserve from other people in terms of respect or relationships. And we're just like, we're both like, it stops with us. No more. Um, when I was young, I was very focused on, I wanted to gain weight and I wanted to bulk up. Um, and in a lot of cases, it was to counter what I considered and still kind of consider crappy bone structure. I can see it on both sides of my family. I can see that, um, I can see what I got from my grandfather. I can see what I got from my mom's side of the family um, in terms of those things that I was just talking about, like, I, you know, sticky out ribs and, um, like, long limbs and, you know, broad shoulders and... In some cases, the like long limbs and broad shoulders sound good, but I feel like it's a combination thing that doesn't necessarily work. And I think also, because I was born in 88, so when I was a little girl, um, just before the time that, you know, Sailor Moon was translated and came to Canada, um, would have been like the Riot Girl kind of era. So a lot of the sort of alt-pop artists that I saw in, I guess, the late 90s. I guess a lot of those artists that I saw at that time sort of made a mockery of being conventionally attractive. Cameron Diaz had a, had a big impact on me because she was kind of, I think at a young age I saw there's something about Mary and, you know, being a blonde girl I think I was like 12, like I was young when, when Something About Mary came out. So there was this other blonde woman who was very smiley and bubbly and all the men liked her. Every walk of life, every category from every, like there was just something about her. And they didn't say that it was her looks. Although they presented her very beautifully and sexually and she wasn't wearing a bra lots of the times and all of this kind of stuff. They, they placed it in an idea that there was something else intrinsic. Um, and so I spent a lot of my sort of like younger years being like, ooh, I want to have that thing. Whatever the concept of that, there was something like magically charming that wasn't image related, <laughs> um, though it was just a magical unicorn notion because the movie's just about that she's real good looking probably. Um, and then later, when she came on as in the Charlie's Angels, and she had, she had lost a bunch of weight. So like in Something About Mary, and in like The Mask, she's curvy and she's got these boobs and she's just soft and so womanly. And it's again, she's, I don't really know like how old she is in those movies, but she's in her young 20s and I would be in my young 
teens. So it kind of felt like, yeah, yeah, when I grow up, that's what I go for. That's what it would be. That's what I would strive for. That's what I'd want. Um, and then when she appeared in Charlie's Angels, when I get a little bit older, she didn't have any boobs. There were several movies around there where she had no boobs. And it was kind of like the first time I'd ever seen um, a woman that was, you know, gorgeous and strong and everybody loved her and she was relatively flat chested. That was kind of like an interesting turning point because prior to that, it was like, oh, to be feminine and sexy and have that sort of like good body appeal to, you know, the masses, to men, to women, to the whole kit and caboodle, you had to have like breasts and cleavage, like they had so much media attention <laughs> when I was growing up that because I didn't, I still don't. <laughs> um, it was sort of like always a point of being like, hmm, I don't have that, therefore I can never be feminine and sexy and fall into a, a normal set of womanness. So therefore I, I place myself in the other and I push harder in that zone to not have to deal with that. I've been really, and I mean, she's five months old, but I'm trying to start the good habits now, like not talking about my own body negatively in front of her. And like, we were at the, my parents' cottage on the weekend. And uh, normally I'm not, I don't love being in a bathing suit. It's not my favorite thing. But I was like, if I don't put on a bathing suit, I'm not gonna take my daughter in the lake. And when I look back on my life, do I wanna, is that the memory I want? Like I didn't go swimming with her because I cared about how I looked in a bathing suit to no one, right? Just my own internalized self-hatred basically. So it's like really focusing on not saying negative things about my body. And whenever I think about saying something negative about my body, I think, would I want her to hear me say this about myself? And would I ever want her to think that about herself? And that's been really helpful. And just like, you know, Andrew pulled out his camera, and normally I would not be into having my photo taken in a bathing suit, but I was like, this is a great moment with my kid. Like, I'm gonna want this moment. She's a baby, right? So just thinking about it in those terms has really helped, and, you know, and she's gonna be a girl in the world, and so I know I can't immunize her from that, but I don't want her to get it from me, you know, because there's gonna be enough. I guess you check out yourself compared to other people as well, and, yeah, I was just, a, I don't know, my body doesn't look like that or my body looks better than that. Sometimes I, uh, I'll compare that way too. But it's just a fascination thing, I guess. It's like, yeah, I don't know how you size up. I think some people feel a mismatch between the kind of role they wanna play in society or in their social circle and the kind of body they have, the kind of body language they have and sort of the clothes that would fit them. So I think because as a kid, I identified with, I guess, small, weird, plush, dark things. Now, I don't know if it's just because I like me, so therefore that's why I like those things. <laughs> or do I just, I like those things and I happen to be those things. You're so. a small, weird, plush, dark thing? Right. Okay. Wouldn't you say? As I've gotten older, because I'm now in my mid-40s, um, all of the usual things have set in that um, 
happen to people as they start getting older in terms of like, you know, they call it middle age spread. Um, and it, I used to think it just meant gaining weight, but it's actually your skeleton, like your, your bones spread out, like your, you know, your, your torso gets wider and you can see it. We can especially see it in actors, like movie actors, cause we've watched them over the decades and you can go back and see, um, the, like, I think it's like the skeletal structure of somebody when they were 25 versus now when they're 50 or 60 or whatever. There are just these inevitable things that happen to both men and women. And the other thing I've been like trying to do is pay myself the same respect that I pay the other people in my life in terms of like how, you know, in terms of me, how I want the women, especially in my life, how I want them to feel about themselves. I'm like, why don't I count in that? Like I should. I should owe my, I, I owe myself the same level of respect, but it's hard, and it's like it feels like you're undoing a lifetime of brainwashing. It, it really feels like I'm deprogramming myself from a cult, and it's liberating on the one hand. And honestly, pregnancy and childbirth and all that is also kind of liberating because your body is like doing a thing, right? Like it's serving a really animal function, and it doesn't. It doesn't really belong to you anymore, and there are times when that's really challenging because you feel totally out of control. And like you said, alien host. It's like, well, what is happening? I have no idea what's happening, and it's scary, and it's intense, and um, it's fast. It changes really fast. But on the other hand, you just kind of give over to it. And then at the end, you're like, I made a fucking person. So did your body make a fucking person? <laughs> right? So that's, in that way, it's liberating too, because you just give over to being the animal. Thinking about it now, I have two, my mother and my grandmother are both sort of petite blonde women um, who very much it's important to them what other people think. Um, very, uh, I, how else to say this but to shake my shoulders and go hootily do about, <laughs> about <laughs> what they look like and you know um, you know my grandmother was always sort of like never leave the house without lipstick and you you know you never know who you're going to see so always look your best and you know this sort of old world gal um, and because I've always seen her as sort of the epitome of a trophy wife because literally my grandfather made a bust of her and I don't think she ever worked too much and always just like had her hair done and was to be flouncing around. Um, and then to see my mother, you know, many years and years later, walk around with the attitude and the acknowledgement that she did, she was cute and everybody liked her and everyone was flirting with her and like this sort of like really overt attitude about it it's sort of and then growing up in an age where like feminism like was start, like coming again and it again because I placed myself in the other it was kind of sickening to watch them do that so it didn't make me want to be sort of like really comfortable in my own skin or really like Mm, I'm at ease with who I am because it sounded or it felt too close to that. And then also, in private, my mother wasn't very open. Like, you know, there's some people, 
my father was very like walking around in his undies and didn't care and like went to a nudist colony and like male nudity and male like being comfortable with their body was totally a normal thing but my mom was more my mom was more um oh no i'm getting it like don't look close the door you're this or that oh and that sort of translated into my behavior that it was like oh i get oh i guess that's what we're supposed to do like it's not i can't just be naked you hear my mom oh okay i guess i'll i'll shy and hide away because that's what's normal like in terms of the modesty like all that goes out the window, right? I, I like I distinctly remember, like when I was in labor and like my knees were up and my legs were spread, and I have like 15 people looking at me, and I was like, well, there goes that. But that, again, that was liberating, and now I will like literally whip my tit out anywhere to breastfeed. And it was like, and it was like a switch went my, off of my brain. That wasn't a conscious decision to be like. I am gonna be like a really public breastfeeder. And again, like I had modeled behavior, like my mom breastfed my younger sister and me, and it was always like really normalized. But in terms of me, it was just like, oh, I just gotta feed my kids. So I'm gonna, my boob's gonna come out. And like I've, I've breastfed in the Ikea rug section. I've breastfed in the back of a bookstore. So it's like, kids gotta eat. So you can deal with that. And then I don't, I don't think until now I've had too many positive female role models of like, yeah, it's fine to be naked. It's till I'm fine in my skin, you be fine in your skin. I'm not gonna judge your point and ha ha ha, and you don't do that either, and it's all good, you're a grown person. And so not until now, having experienced, <laughs> experienced that, I'm like, oh, it's, it's sort of like washing away, like, ideas and shames and things like that that have long since existed. With the help of other nude women, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like once you see other women be nude and comfortable or surround yourself with other women who don't worry about it or they're not all in a, they're not all in a stitch about shame in their body, then you can sort of relax yourself, um, but I definitely feel influenced by surrounding myself with those type of women. Um, it is not something I like, I can do in my own box, and like that. now I've decided it's fine because I find when I'm not, or I still go through the initial wave of like, <gasps> oh no, and then I'm like, wait, it's actually fine. I've practiced that it's fine, or like I remember that it's okay, and they're fine, and everybody's fine with it now. So it's still a journey. Uh, it kind of became a defining characteristic in my life for a time period um, body image and the way that I present myself. I think it's interesting because people's first impression just kind of comes on how you look. So whether or not that was, you know, grabbing a band t shirt or spiking up my hair or whatnot. Um, or it was trying to get skeletal thin to try to create a certain impression of myself on other people, I was always hyper aware of what I was doing from that. That happened at a really young age because I was constantly told uh, that I was fat, mostly because I was fat. Um, yeah, it was, I don't think I was like morbidly obese, but I was definitely chubbier than the other people there. And I didn't have a really great relationship with uh, 
with my brother who would sort of constantly be, you know, he was just looking for something to sort of get down to me. And this became the thing that he would go back to over and over again because he was very skinny. So he, you know, being constantly told that uh, you're fat and worthless in his words for like years, uh, made me not like myself very much. So I kind of try to take control of that and be like, well, if I'm fat and worthless and no one likes me like this, maybe I can be thin and everybody will like me. Um, so for years, I think that that was a, a big, big concern of mine. And there's stuff that's kind of ingrained into my personality at this point, or just the way that I think that um, still kind of operates on that, that how good I look in a t-shirt or without clothes um, is, uh, entirely caught up with how valuable I am as a person. And I found like right when, right after I gave birth, I was zero, I wasn't self-conscious about my body at all. And I had like big flabby stomach, like weird tits, like I was a mess, but I felt such purpose. Like I felt my body had kind of been through so much and it had come out the other side and this amazing thing had happened. And now I was continuing to do amazing things with my body, like breastfeeding and looking after her. And it's only been probably in like the past month that I'm starting to go like, it's like I'm having to integrate my mom self with my myself self. Cause that for those first few months are so intense and you're so laser focused on the kid and that's all you're doing. Their needs are the only things you're focusing on. So it doesn't, that's why like I, I wore spandex for like three, like, you know, sweatpants and spandex, like whatever. It was, it wasn't about me at all. Now that I'm kind of starting to move around in the world, like as my own person again, I'm starting to be like, oh, like I wish my clothes like fit me kind of the way I did before I had the baby. Yeah, I, you know, my stomach's a little bit poofier than I wish it would be. But you just kind of, and then you just run out of time to think about that stuff, which is kind of, again, liberating. Um, but I have my low points for sure. Like I had to go to, we went to a wedding last week and I just like could not find anything to wear. And it was just like, this is the worst. And then it sends you catapulting back to like the way I felt when I was a teenager, right? I can't find anything to wear. Shopping is so traumatic. This is so awful. I hate myself. And then those are the moments when I really have to catch myself and go, like, let's try, I'm trying to change the conversation, right? Because someone's got to do it. Um, and I just, I don't want to live the rest of my life feeling crappy about myself. I mean, we have a we have a policy in our home that you can just be naked anywhere you want. And if a guest doesn't like that nudity, they can take a hike. I've had a number of health problems as well, which you know aren't necessarily just related to aging. That they could be related to bad choices. Um, in terms of my relationship to food, I'm, an, I'm a chronic overeater for sure. Um, but a, and I've also um, I've had a number of hernias in, in different spots, so it's like a connective tissue thing, which I think can be hereditary as well. Um, I ran for a long time, so my knees are kind of screwed up. When I was in my 20s, I had 
jobs that required a lot of heavy lifting. So I've screwed up my back from that. My doctor has said I have osteoarthritis in my hips, which is at least nice to have it identified because it hurts to get up and up out of chairs and back down into them again and to bend over or to try to roll over in bed is painful. Yeah, I can feel it in my hips, but also in my lower back, which is screwed up too. Um, I've got a tear in one knee. So my, you know, that knee swells up from fluid all the time. But there's like, you know, and there's all that shit about women to like get your pre-baby body back. And like, newsflash, that's fucking impossible. Like, this is not gonna happen unless you are Beyonce. It's not often that I feel like I'm allowed to talk about it. Um, all this being said, it's like, I understand that, you know, as a, a straight white cis male, I have certain privilege within the society, but I can only kind of speak from my own experience. And in my own experiences, this is something that I struggle with a lot. Um, I don't want to, you know, generalize and say that this is something that every dude struggles with because I don't think that that's the case. But I've had conversations with a lot of friends who will be like um, disappointed about their gut. Or on the flip side, if they're too, uh, if they feel like they're too thin, they're worried that, um, you know, they have chicken legs or that they're, they're, um, arms aren't big enough and that if they could only just bulk up then then they'd feel better about it and I don't know if this is something that we're trained for or if this is something that we just kind of um, you know grown up to, to have but I've thought about the way my body looks all the time and I still think about that um, I don't think that's a problem that's exclusive to women though at, in media portrayals there's more um, unrealistic body types for women, I think. Or there's only one body type for women. If being beautiful is your job, then you can do it. But if that's not your job, the reality is just like, your body's changed and your body's changed forever. And like, that's okay? So, but then on the other hand, there's this whole thing, you know, there are all these Instagram tags like, tiger stripes where it's like women up putting have you seen this putting up photos of their stretch marks and being like these are my tiger stripes and they're beautiful and I love them and on the one hand I'm like I love body positivity movements and I'm all for it but on the other hand I'm like why does everything have to be beautiful right like why can't we just be like this is a body like in order to reclaim women's bodies or to make women not feel shitty about their bodies why do we have to make everything beautiful why can't it be like these just exist on my body because my body serves like a pretty badass function. So there's this weird thing that even in the body positivity movement, it's like to make imperfections, quote unquote, to call them beautiful. And I just, that also feels weird to me because it's like, oh, because at the end of the day, a woman's job is to be beautiful. I think the dialogue that's happened has actually made me more self-conscious about my body. Not so much as that I've been told I need to look a certain way or told that, um, you know, I, I'm perfectly fine looking how I do, but the fact that it's, it's not the media images that have sort of made me more self-conscious about my body, is that everybody seems to be talking about it all the time. Whether or not that's a conversation that's like, oh, you, you need these six-pack abs or you need, uh, um, you know, the, the hip bones pointing out or it's a thing where it's just like, that's not something that's really appealing for people anyways. The fact that I'm kind of fascinated by those things and I, I can, can jump into those articles and read a lot about them over a short period of time 
has made me more aware of, of how I look and how I'm portrayed um, or how I portray myself. But I don't think it's actually being told that I should look a certain way or not look a certain way. But the fact that this conversation is brought up constantly um, has made me more self-conscious about my body. Um, but because of the hernias, um, I had uh, an umbilical hernia for a while that I was planning on getting um, operated on. And before I did, it, it got incarcerated, which means that... Um, so a hernia, because I feel like some people don't even know this, um, is it's like a rupture in your abdominal, um, your abdominal wall which can be result from all kinds of things, but often injuries or just repetitive strain. Um, so I had one right around my navel, and when there's that rupture, whatever's behind your abdominal wall can start to work its way out. And if it's left untreated for a long time, it could be terrible. The weird thing about pregnancy is that, you know, like, you know how your body feels, and you're used to the feelings in your body, and you kind of know, oh, this is a normal feeling, this isn't a normal feeling. And you, but when you're pregnant, you're always getting new feelings. And then as soon as you get used to those feelings, those feelings change and are replaced by different feelings. So it's kind of, you really have to give over any control or sense that you know what the hell is going on. So I had, um, I guess it was part of my intestine would, would sort of like poke out a bit. And so it would create kind of a little bulge there, and I would push it back in a lot. Um, you know, this to many people will sound gross. And then one day I couldn't push it back in anymore, and um, it got, as I said, incarcerated. So it trapped that bit of intestine um, and led to a blockage. And like I don't, like I don't know, like I hadn't been, you know, I've been pregnant before, so there were a lot of like unnecessary trips to the hospital. I'd be like, something's not right. And they'd go in and I'd be like, nah, that's just, that's just uh, your ligament stretching. Or that's just, whatever, that's normal. And then, I mean, I did block a lot of websites on my computer when I was pregnant because I did like so much Googling. Um, my friend described pregnancy as learned helplessness. Like you just have to, and because it's terrifying. And people who say pregnancy is awesome are either insane or lying. Like, there were moments of utter joy, like feeling the baby move while it's like a total trip. Or like seeing, like looking at your stomach and seeing like the baby under, that's crazy. Cause you're like, oh, there's a fucking person in there. Um, but it's stressful. And it's because you can't, you can't see what's going on. And all I knew was that everything started to hurt like hell. And I had a ton of abdominal pain. I went to the hospital, kept getting worse and worse. They were doing scans. They were trying to figure out what the problem was. Um, and they said, well, we're gonna have to fix it regardless. So we're gonna go in, we're gonna fix the hernia, we're gonna you know, find this blockage. And before, when they were basically prepping me for surgery, my um, bowel exploded and I went what is called septic, meaning like there was toxicity flooding my body. And I was lucky that I was in an OR or about to go into one because they opened me up and went, oh my God, and, and immediately went to work. I woke up from the general anesthesia hours later and the, the doctors were around me and the head surgeon said, this is the team that just saved your life because it would have been fatal had you not been here. Um, but it took, and it took me a long time, but eventually I was just like, 
I'm doing everything I can, I'm eating right, I'm not smoking crack, just gotta let things happen. And labor was like that too, right? Like, you know, I, you just, I, I just had to give over to the process. And uh, it was, it's, it was the craziest thing that I've ever been through, but you, I literally just let my body do it. I was just kind of along for the ride. Like I remember I was like nearing the end of labor. I've been labor for so long. My labor's 22 hours and like it's crazy, right? And uh, I, was near, I was nearing the end and I was 10 centimeters dilated and I, my doula was like, you should go pee or whatever. And I was like, okay, I guess I should go pee. And the, my, the nurse was like, whatever you do, don't push. You're not, we're not ready for you to push yet. And I stood up, and as soon as I stood up, I just had the, like, I, the books always say you'll feel an urge to push. This wasn't an urge to push, it was like, my body was like, this is the only option. Like, I couldn't not, and the nurse was like, don't. I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm gonna push, find someone to catch the baby. Like, that's your problem. So they like got me back. They were like, don't go pee. The nurse was like, I've had a toilet baby before. I'm not gonna have it happen again. I was like, oh my God. So they like get me back into the bed. But it was, to my body was totally steering the ship. And um, it was insane and kind of, I'm not gonna say traumatizing, it was, it hurt a lot. But once I realized that I just had to let my body do the work, it was really, I was like, well, this is happening. Yeah, they, they fixed that. Um, they had to cut a pretty like, you know, it's a, I've got a pretty long scar on my front from it. The problem was um, a few months later when I was like back at the gym finally and fe starting to feel strong because it was a long um, period of rehabilitation from that, um, where they had reconnected my abdominal wall came open and it was a gradual thing and apparently it's not uncommon and my GP is also an OBGYN and she said it happens to women who have C-sections a lot as well. Um, so I went back and I said, now this is happening. And what the result was, was that I just had this weird new unsightly bulge. And it was because so much of my abdominal wall was like one giant hernia. Um, and the doctor said, okay, here's the deal. We can't, we're not going to just close it up the way we did before because there's too much chance of the same thing happening. So instead we're going to leave it partially open and we're going to put um, um, a surgical mesh across um, your abdominal wall internally and that's what will kind of hold everything in for you. And so that's where I'm at now, where I don't really have an intact abdominal wall. And as a result, I don't have, I've got super limited core strength. I haven't been able to do a single sit up really since that day, and that's over a year now, I think, um, or coming up on a year, I'm not sure. And, um, when you have back problems, they tell you to strengthen your stomach muscles because um, that'll take the strain off your back. And if you um, have a weak core, they say strengthen your back. So I have this situation where my lower back is, has been chronically screwed up for many years and I can't, I'm not doing a very good job of strengthening my core because of that. I find it really interesting to ask a person about what what rituals or what practices do they need to take on to maintain their body and like what do they need to do 
hygiene-wise or support-wise or whatever-wise that no one has any idea about. Like, I guess an obvious example is some women spend two hours in the morning on their appearance, generally speaking, to get ready for the day. They're, they've got layers and layers of products um, that need to be applied to maintain a certain appearance. Or like, uh, you know, if you, if you don't need a bra to jog, like if you could run for the bus without a bra, your life is different than if you can't. So if you choose to wear the strapless dress, you will not be running for the bus. Likewise, if you have to, you might find that uh, if you wear a sports bra, um, you can't actually uh, breathe, right? So if you have to do an activity that requires some degree of ease and flexibility, and you find yourself in the sports bra because you thought there'd be moderate to high impact, now you gotta get a different setup. Yeah, so now I'm left with all of these old injuries in terms of my knees and my ankles and my back, but now I've also got this issue not only of no core strength, but I find it very unsightly as well. I kind of have like, the, the mesh didn't completely form, it doesn't form a new wall, it's a little stretchy itself. So I kind of have a gut on my gut and I'm mortified to look at myself when I, when I pass myself in a mirror sideways or if I'm walking by store windows, I, I honestly want to die. Um, I'm, yeah, it's, it's shameful and I feel like, the, okay, so the solution is to lose a ton of weight, but I've been told that, you know, that's not going to change the fact of what's in there, like the current, um, you know, structure and the mesh and all that. So there's still, it's never going to fully hold everything in. Um, yeah, and so all of these things in combination, they're a product of bad luck in some cases and, and bad lifestyle choices and my age and I just feel this constant entropy like I'm just you know shit's breaking down in me all the time and I'm getting weaker and I feel that if I have to walk to the third floor on, on stairs I'm winded at the top and I'm not as strong as I used to be so I feel like I have all these people in my life who are 30 you know like a lot of my friends are just turning 30 and I feel like the ghost of Christmas yet to come, or, or maybe I'm like, I'm both, I'm that and I'm Jacob Marley, because I want them to look and see, you know, this is the future. Like right now you're, you know, you have this high metabolism and you've, you know, you've got a, a flat stomach and you're looking great and you don't, you're not in physical pain, but ask anybody my age and everything hurts and you have this constant sense of, of getting weaker and things not working as well as they used to and being more fatigued and um, it makes you very aware of your own mortality. Something that influenced the way I deal with body image in regards to what other people think um, is a particular gesture that my grandmother used to do, which is she'd be lying in bed, usually watching a soap opera, and she would wear a sort of house uh, gown, sort of 
like a linen nightgown. She called it a duster. And uh, she'd be laying down, and if you came in and bothered her, or tried to tell her that, you know, so-and-so had said such-and-such, could she please do something about it? Or that, you know, there was an issue with something. She would lift up the back of her duster, expose her underwear, and say, My arse! (laughs) And I think that had a real impact on my attitude toward a lot of things. Thank you, as always, for listening. This episode's contributing voices are Courtney Walker, Graham Isidore, Ron Kelly, Lauren Gillis, and Elaine Hutton. The music was composed and produced by Ron Kelly. This episode is being released on July 3rd, which means there is one more week remaining in the Toronto Fringe Festival. Lauren and Elaine are performing their show Mr. Truth at the Randolph Academy on Bathurst Street. Graham, as well as several contributing voices from past episodes, are performing as part of Press Gang Storytelling. Every night of the festival at 7pm, at Handlebar, on Augusta. Please consider subscribing to We Muse Aloud on iTunes where you can rate and review us. Like us at facebook.com slash wemusealoud, and follow us on Twitter at wemusealoud. Enjoy your summer. Enjoy your body.